This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Do you pray on a regular basis? Do you mostly talk to God? Or do you talk and spend time listening for Him to speak? Today's guest is pastor, best-selling author, and founder of the worldwide 24-7 prayer movement, Pete Gregg. Pete has committed his life to helping people hear the voice of God, and he does just that during our conversation today. He answers why many Christians have strayed far from expecting to hear from God, and to what degree should we expect to hear from God today like they did in the Bible. He also shares signs that we aren't hearing from God at all. This is one of those conversations you'll want to save and listen to more than once. It's convicting, insightful, and encouraging. If you find that to be true, I would be so encouraged if you would share this with a friend. You can do that on social media, send them a text message, or an email. Also, drop by Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and send me a message sharing what resonated with you from today's conversation. Pete Gregg, welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thanks for having me. So nice to be with you. I am excited. We talked a little bit beforehand, and I really want to start with, you know, you living on a barge and all the things. I don't know that we really have that much time, but do tell everybody a little bit about just where you are and what you do. Well, I'm speaking to you from the south of England right now. You can probably hear from the accent as That's well. That's right. Um, yeah, my, my wife and I, we, we have the joy of splitting our time uh, between we, we live on a barge on, on a river, 60 foot long, nine foot wide. Um, oh, crazy. It's great fun. We putter up and down the river. <laughs> and then we have about uh, just under half our time. Uh, we have a, a small retreat center on an island off the south coast of England called the Isle of Wight, where we do a lot of leadership mentoring. And I do a lot of my writing and so on. So uh, it's kind of fun. We go we go between the barge on the river and, and the island. I can't imagine what it would be like even getting your mind in the place where you're just swapping back and forth. But I'm sure it's like anything. Once it becomes routine, it's not that hard to kind of switch from water life onto land life. Yeah. And, you know, part of the backstory was God said to me, I needed to slow down. Like, I just mm. and. And this is the slowest mechanized mm. form of transport in the world. It moves at three miles per hour. Dog walkers <laughs> overtake you. It's so <laughs> frustrating. And, and the ro- and the rivers wiggle. You know, they're not in straight oh, lines. Yeah. So it, it, it's um, it's a very ancient way of getting around. Mm. Of course, this was the internet. Right? This was this was the way that that things were shipped from one place to the ends of the empire, you know. I know and, people like uh, us, we can't even imagine that hardly. Yeah, right? but it's it, it is so slow and it's really good for me. And I reflect a lot on that beautiful psalm. You know, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, so beautiful. Well, and that you talking about hearing God and he told you to slow down is really what our topic's going to be about today with your newest book, Hearing God, um, just a simple, practical way to actually do that. And so as we jump into that conversation, why do you think that Christians have strayed so far away from expecting to hear from God? Well, it's a great question. I think the first thing is we've all got disappointments in this area. If we're really honest, every single one of us, we've had some experience in our lives where we've cried out to God, we've needed God to speak, and it feels like he hasn't done it. And then secondly, we've all been hurt by people abusing God's word, whether it's um, a a manipulative parent, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to control us, whether it's a cocksure preacher, uh, whether it's Uh, you know, somebody claiming to be a prophet trying to manipulate the Mm -hmm. outcome of presidential elections, you know, saying that this is what God says. And so um, we've all been hurt. I remember a a woman staring me in the eyes at the end of a church service one day and and saying to me, God has commanded me to marry you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, whoa, (laughs) what do you do with that? So so I think and then I tell you, there's another thing. There's another thing. And it's this. I think our expectations are often wrong. Mm. Um, we think that God will only speak to us in weird ways, like through, you know, booming voices or, or, or you know, a- mm. angelic visitations. And I love that story of Samuel in the Bible. Do you remember he's lying down in the temple and here's God's calling his name, right? But here's the thing. Every time he thinks it's the old man next door. So what that tells me is you can mistake God for the old man next door. Like God's not weird most of the time in the way he speaks to us. He speaks to us in the natural and the normal. So most people are hearing him more than they realize. Yeah. Well, and with that said, you talk a lot about hearing God's like God's word versus God's whisper. Mm. Yeah. And so when you think about that, like, what do you mean by that? Because I do think, you know, I hear people all the time say, if, if it's not word for word in God's word, then you're not hearing God. Um, right. so, so speak to that a little bit, just so that we understand what you mean by that. Well, you know, God's word is kind of external and it's objective. It, it's, it's, it's primarily two things. It's the Bible the word of God and Jesus, John mm-hmm. chapter one, Jesus is the word of God. And actually out of those two, Jesus is, is kind of the most important because, you know, we read the Bible in the light of Jesus. Amen. Everyone knows that you can take verses from Leviticus and make it say almost anything you want. The question is, have you met Jesus? Mm-hmm. Now the Bible is our source of authority, but, uh, but we need to know the living word of God in Christ as well as the word of God in scripture. So that's, that's the word of God. And in this book, I, I talk a lot about that because, you know, George Gallup called the Bible the best-selling least read book in America. Mm-hmm. And although a lot of people say, yeah, I just trust the Bible, all the statistics show that we actually don't read it as much as we claim we do. And those who do find it difficult. And, the, and there's a lot of people just don't know how to relate to the Bible. So I talk about how to how to pray the Bible, not just study mm-hmm. the Bible. How do you hear God in the Bible? How do you make sense of the difficult bits? And then the other bit, God's whisper. This is the way that 
more subjectively that God speaks. If you like, the first bit is about theology. The second is about psychology. It's the still small voice of God. So it's your conscience. It's um, it's dreams and visions. It's those times where you sense God speaking to you in creation or at the cinema, you know, or, or in a song on the radio or through another, through a conversation like this, a conversation with another person. And so um, I believe a living relationship with God has to be rooted in God's word, Jesus and the Bible. But it also requires his whisper, that sense of him speaking to us each day as we just go through our ordinary life. Mm. Well, and even thinking about that, I know a lot of people and I know myself personally at times because of that hurt that you talked about earlier or the way Mm. that people have abused um, their authority in the name of God. Yeah. We sometimes don't know when to trust that voice. Yes. Um, do you have anything that you would share when it comes to that? One of the simple principles uh, that I teach in, in the book is this, it's just, it's so easy. It's, it's called the ABC and it goes like this, you know, those moments you're thinking, is this thing that I'm sensing, this thing, this picture in my head, this dream I had, is it God or is it just me? You know, that, you know, that moment. And and just apply the ABC. It goes like this. Is it affirming? Is it biblical? And is it Christ-like? Mm. So let me just walk you through that. Affirming. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a whole chapter of the Bible in which the apostle Paul teaches us about prophecy. Prophecy is just speaking God's word to people. And he says, you should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. Okay. So this is not something where we can just go, well, I don't do that. You know, (laughs) or or the Pentecostals do that. You are out of line with the Bible. If you're not earnestly desiring to grow in the prophetic, I'm just, Mm -hmm. it's not me. That's, that's what the apostle Paul says. Right. So then the question is how, well, he says that prophecy is for edification, encouragement, strengthening, and comfort building up the body of christ Mm. and that interests me because so often the way that prophecy is used or abused is the opposite of that it's discouraging it's pulling people down it's pulling the church down so that's the first question is this thing i'm sensing you know encouraging and affirming the second is is it biblical is it in line with not just some random verse from leviticus you know but is it in line with the big story of the Mm. bible and thirdly, and most importantly, is it Christ-like? Does this sound like Jesus? Is it mm. the sort of thing Jesus would say and do? Because we read the Bible in the light of Christ, right? So mm-hmm. now if, if you're getting that in a sense of, you know, that God might be speaking and it passes the ABC test, you've got nothing to lose. Because even if it's not the word of God, it'll be the word of God because you'll go and you'll encourage someone <laughs> in a way that's yeah. in line with scripture and that's Christ-like. So you've got nothing to lose. So, and what you will find as you do that is firstly, you'll make some mistakes and that's okay. And secondly, um, mostly you won't make mistakes. And sometimes you'll come away going, oh, wow, that really was supernatural because, for example, the illustration I used happened to be the exact one that they were, you know, thinking about Mm -hmm. this morning or whatever it is, you know, those moments. Absolutely. 
So there you go, ABC. That's a simple tool. The book, the book is it, it draws from ancient Christian traditions and 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 two thousand years of Christian thought, but it it tries to make things inspirational and practical. Like here's how you can actually do this and grow mm-hmm. in this. Well, and what I hear from even what you're saying is, if we get that sense, there is a a sort of intentionality and a slowness of going about making sure that that is the voice of God. Would you say that is true? And I'm sure you grow in your quickness to respond to that. But if you're really going to see, is it biblical? Is it affirming? And is it Christ-like? Like that sometimes takes time before you just go spouting off whatever you hear. Yeah. But, you know, just ask yourself the question, what's the worst that could happen if I get this wrong? Mm. And if the answer is nothing, you don't need to take any time over it. Just mm. go do it. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like you don't, don't spend time wondering if, you know, uh, telling someone that God loves them is, is it, is it the word of God? Just do it. Yeah. But if the answer to the question is, uh, you know, what could go wrong? What, 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 what's the worst happen if I get this wrong? And the answer to that is a lot, you know, it's like you, you're sensing someone should move to another country or, you know, mm-hmm. that it's time for your pastor to retire or whatever it is. Or that you're supposed you, to marry the woman. <laughs> yeah, you need to take some time. I always say the number one gift that God wants to give most Christians is common sense. Like, Amen to that. You know, like, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for more than a quarter of a century, and there's been three occasions on which adultery has been exposed through dreams like just supernaturally wow but say you get a dream about someone having committed adultery don't don't go and like challenge them because it's only a dream Mm -hmm. you know it might just be a weird dream but you might want to go for coffee with them and say hey how are you guys doing like are you all right you know you 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 know you, you might just begin to pray into it it might be that god's speaking to you just so pray so so ask that question what's the worst that could go wrong Mm. If I get this wrong. And if the answer is lots, then definitely you need to take some time. You need to think about process and, and you always need to make sure that what you're doing is, is loving. That doesn't mm. mean you won't challenge people sometime, but that it's loving. Right. right. Yeah. I like that you point that out. I mean, you can challenge without being a jerk. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you don't always it's, have to challenge and be mean. I I know. I mean, yeah, the the number when people come up to me at the end of services and say, I just want to speak a word uh, to you in love. I I want to run for the hills because I know they're about to say something horrible. And the worst thing is I can't be upset because they wander off thinking they've been loving. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, isn't it interesting that the New Testament both tells us to speak the truth in love? But also that's that's uh, in Ephesians. But then the Apostle Peter says love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. That's that's an interesting one. Yeah. So I'm always asking God, is this a love confronts or a love covers situation? Ooh. Like, do I do I need to confront? Is, is that what love means here? Or do I need to actually cover this over mm. and go, you know what? Anyone who's raised kids knows this. Don't fight every battle. <laughs> like, Work out which of the battles you need to that's fight. That's right. Oh, that's such a good perspective. See, we could stop there and just chew on that for a while. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh, that raises an interesting question. 
how did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. I want to know your perspective on like, to what degree should we expect to hear from God today like they did in the Bible? Well, we should expect more Mm. to hear from God more than they did in the Bible because Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm returning to the father. I'm going to leave you with, with, with the Holy spirit. Uh, And Mm. uh, you know, you will do greater things. And so um, in the old Testament, the Holy Spirit would would fall upon certain individuals that we call prophets who would receive remarkable revelations from God, whilst 99.9% of the population weren't getting that stuff. Mm. And then the New Testament, uh, prior to Pentecost, again, you know, Jesus was bringing great revelations, but we know that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there had been centuries of silence where yeah. God hadn't been speaking. You know, we, we read that with Samuel, you know, that it was mm-hmm. a time where we'd, the phrase used is the word of the Lord was rare. But then we step into post the Gospels and the church begins. And, and, you know, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, here's the mark of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Your young men uh, will, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, on men and women, young and old. And so this is the era we live in, where um, where because we are, we have the Holy Spirit, we can all hear the voice of God in ways that our forefathers in biblical times longed to do and couldn't. Mm. So that's probably not what you expect. You probably expect me to say, well, the Bible's pretty special, but you know, most people's experience who lived in Bible times was not what we can experience right. as those who are in Christ Jesus, filled with His Spirit. Yeah. Well, and they didn't even have, I mean, I I always think about too, like Jewish people read from the Torah, but not everybody had the Torah available to them, nor could all of them read. So there's this whole nother dynamic that I wonder at times is the way we think we're hearing God have to be the booming voice. And that's what everybody is. So like, no, there's no way that person heard the voice of the Lord because he doesn't do that anymore. Isn't it? I mean, firstly, you're right. They couldn't read the Torah. The only way you could get to, you, you know, you would hear the Torah yeah. at the synagogue, uh, but you didn't have your own personal copy. Or 12. Home, <laughs> let alone on a phone. And you would memorize great chunks of it. But uh, you're right. Now, what what I find really interesting, and, and the backbone of the, the book is called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. The backbone of this book is the Emmaus Road story, Mm -hmm. which I think is one of the most gorgeous, you know, beautiful stories in not just in all scripture, I think in all literature, it's stunning. And and it, it speaks so powerfully into this because 
Jesus, we're told, draws near to them, mm-hmm. disguised as just an ordinary person, which is so often the way, right? Jesus comes to us disguised as our own lives. And then he doesn't just do, do the Elvis on them. He doesn't just go, Da-da, it's me. I'm Jesus. I'm risen from the dead. Right. In fact, he does the opposite. He takes them on about a two and a half hour Bible study mm-hmm. in which we're told, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he uh, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. himself yeah. Now, let, let's just pause here because firstly, so here's the first thing. If you say to a lot of 18-year-olds, come to church on Sunday, you're going to have the greatest encounter with God you will ever have. They're probably going to come. If you then stand up and lead them in a two and a half hour Bible study, they're going to be super disappointed and want their money back. That's right. right? Because they want to shake, rattle and roll. That's right. But, but this is the resurrected Jesus and, and he's still appealing to the authority of scripture. So that's, that's very important. But and that's the bit that many of us be very comfortable with because we're very comfortable with the idea of the Bible as authoritative. Mm-hmm. The bit that's, that's like a little, you know, subversive, though, in this verse is the end bit where it, it says how he demonstrated from Moses and the prophets how all the scriptures pointed to himself. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, of course, he was Jesus. But think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about that. He's saying it's all about me and so what that tells me is we read the bible in the light of jesus christ Mm -hmm. right i I said that at the start and in the book i talk about a thing it's got a very flashy name the christological hermeneutic but all it means is that we read the bible through the jesus glasses we Mm -hmm. we understand the genocide passages the the tricky things about you know women and head coverings in the pauline epistles we Mm -hmm. understand all those difficult bits in the light of who jesus was uh, because it all points to him Mm. and that really changes the way we relate to the bible ah it sure does and i mean that sometimes is something that just comes with time, right? And digging into the scriptures and listening and all of those things. And so time and time again, I have heard people, some who listen to this show, some who are friends of mine, some who are people who just think that I'm crazy, say that contemplative prayer, imaginative prayer, uh, breath prayers, uh, that that is not biblical, that God teaches us how to pray in the Bible. And that is how we should pray. And it does not speak of any of these other things. Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the, the Bible teaches us to pray in these ways. How so? Tell you us. Know, I'm excited. So, so I mean, here, let me give you a story and then I'll explain. In our church, we've got a very, very senior businessman. He owns a lot of companies that you will all have heard of, like mm-hmm. multinational companies. He's kind of a big deal in business, right? He loves Jesus. Mm. And he got what a lot of people like him got. He got adrenal failure. You know, a lot of these high performing guys, mega church pastors, you know, <laughs> big business shots, they all get the same medical condition, adrenal failure. And he had to change his diet, change his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that his doctor said to him is, you need to start to practice mindfulness. You know, you need to learn how to just slow down and be still. 
And I found out that because of his doctor's advice, he had therefore picked up some of those books you see at airports, which are basically pop psychology and Mm -hmm. light Buddhism Mm -hmm. on how to live in the eternal now. And I realized as his pastor, I'd been so worried about people saying, oh, this stuff's new age, that I had failed Mm -hmm. to teach him the Bible on how to be mindful and present. And so I was able to say to him, put all those books away. Let's get Mm -hmm. the Bible open. Let's talk about Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Let's talk about the fact that God created you from breath. Let's look at the fact that one of the ways the Holy Spirit is described is the ruach, the breath of God. Let's think about the fact that Jesus appeared amongst the disciples and breathed upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's think about all the times in the Bible where prayers weren't with words, they were with actions. Think about the way Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem and never said, the donkey represents this. And here is the Bible verse that I am enacting. He just did it. And so um, we pray with our whole beings, with our mind, our body, our soul, everything within us. We, We worship God with everything. And so prayer can't just be cerebral and it can't just be verbal. Mm. And so, yeah, I do teach in this book and in the previous book, which is called How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people on how to slow down, Mm -hmm. how to center ourselves on Jesus, how to breathe well and use breath as a way of praying. Mm -hmm. And, And some people say to me, give me a Bible verse for that. And I think if you need a Bible verse for breathing well, you're in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, And these things have been transformative for me. And Mm -hmm. I suspect you'll want to come back at me on this, but let me just say one one other thing on this. Listen, whatever Christian tradition you're in will have strengths and weaknesses. That's why we all need each other. If you're in like a Bible church tradition, an evangelical tradition, you will have brilliant insights on how to hear God in the Bible. If you're in a charismatic Pentecostal church, you will have brilliant insights on the prophetic and on dreams and visions and words of knowledge and the supernatural. If you're in a more contemplative or sacramental context, Quaker church, for example, or whatever, then you'll be very strong on on the contemplative, on the still small voice of God, on how Mm -hmm. to be still. What I want is all of that. I'm sick and tired of people telling me I can only order from one bit of the menu. Mm. I want to learn how to be contemplative. I want to learn how to intercede and to hear God in miraculous ways. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to hear God in the Bible. And don't let anyone tell you that only one bit is the truth. The Bible itself teaches that God speaks in ways outside of the Bible. So if you say that I only hear God in the Bible, you are being unbiblical. And, uh, and yeah, contemplative prayer. When I came out of seminary, I knew a lot about the Bible, but I'd lost my ability to use the Bible conversationally mm. with God. And I had to relearn it. And the key that helped me was the Lectio Divina. That was the tool that helped me switch off certain parts of my brain and get back into a place of just listening to the Holy Spirit in scripture. Mm. Well, and I love, I, I, there's lots of things I could say about that. And 
I love, even if we were to go on and talk about meditation and how Mm -hmm. meditation is not a new age invention. It is God who created meditation. They talk about it over and over again. We've let other, yeah, anyway, but also Lectio Divina. Let's talk about it a little bit because um, I've heard you, it's impacted your life. It's impacted Mm -hmm. Tyler Statton. So many people that I respect. John Mark Comer, uh, John Tyson, the list goes on and on. I also know people who criticize it and say that it's, it's dangerous. I mean, almost the same way as this contemplative prayer that if we, you know, only focus on one verse and see how it speaks to us, that that could come across as your own interpretation. How do you speak to that? The constant criticism? Well, listen, the Bible isn't just one book. You have to read it contextually. I mean, this is yeah. this is not controversial. This is basic principles of exegesis. So mm. it's a pretty bad idea to go to the Song of Songs and say, I want to get wisdom on how to start a business from this. It's an erotic love poet. That's right. Um, it's pretty stupid. This is controversial, but I think it's pretty stupid to go to Genesis 1 to 3 and say, I want this to be a science textbook. It's mm. not written as that. That's right. Let that hang. <laughs> Uh, so to allow the scripture to, you have to ask what kind of literature is now there are parts of the bible that are clearly doctrinal they are to shape doctrine what we believe really matters we can't kiss our brains goodbye but the bible is also a love letter to be used not like a marriage certificate, but in the relationship we have with God. And Lectio Divina is one of the things that helps us to engage with those parts of scripture that are, um, that are like love letters, that are less like doctrine. And, uh, you know, it's a very, very ancient technique. It's not Ignatian, by the way. Ignatius was the great popularizer. He nicked everyone's ideas and, and, and popularized them. <laughs> it was much, much older than, than the Jesuits. But, you know, it's, it's about reading the Bible uh, slowly mm-hmm. with imagination cyclically often, you know, just repeating, going around a few verses and allowing the Lord to speak through our imaginations. And we need to be less frightened of our imaginations. Mm. Uh, we, sometimes a Christian was so terrified. Of course, we can do sinful things with our imagination, but we can also do very, very righteous things with our imagination. And the solution to the fact that our imaginations can be fallen is not to try and switch them off, because you can't do it. It's to redeem them and fill them with goodness. Oh. And scripture is a good way of doing that. So we, we produced a... Uh, started making the least rock and roll app in world history called the Lectio 365. Mm -hmm. We started a couple of years ago. uh, It's exploded. And it's it's gone crazy. We have 165,000 daily users and that's growing by like 10,000 every like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. And the stories of literally just before this, someone had messaged me literally just about half an hour ago. Uh, it moved me so much uh, as she said I-, I lie in bed every morning I do the Lectio 365 alone and it's just key to me just reflecting on the scriptures praying the scriptures the other day and then she said every evening my husband she's I think she's an old lady she said my husband and I get into bed and we hold hands together Aww. and we listen to you doing the the, the the Lectio 365 at night and then we fall asleep I mean, you know, it's just so moving. It's so, so sweet. Yeah. 
it's really sweet. So I listen, Lectio is is about how do we read the Bible, not just for information and education, but for transformation, uh, conversation mm -hmm. and, and meditation, as you say, and, and contemplation. Mm -hmm. And hey, there's a cool other thing on, on this whole thing of contemplative prayer, which is, it, you know, we can talk a lot about is it biblical or isn't it biblical? But, but there's also a, a fundamental thing of psychology here, because the truth is that everybody already does meditation and mm -hmm. contemplation. And the only question is not whether you do it or not, it's whether you do it as a Christian or not. Mm -hmm. so, um, so let me give you an example. Every time you go to the movie theater, you move into contemplation even if you're not a Christian. And it goes like this. At the start, you've got your popcorn and your Coke, and you're, you're trying to get into the movie, and you're trying to ignore the guy behind you who's whispering, and you know, you're working to get into the movie. And then if the movie's half decent, as it begins to unfold, you kind of get into it, you forget about your Pepsi, you forget about your, your popcorn, you forget about the guy behind you, you're into it. And so it's no longer work, it's no longer me trying to get into the film. It's like the film is everything. Mm -hmm. And then if it's not just a good film, if it is a great movie, you actually forget you're in a movie theater. You forget that you're watching actors. You are so caught up in it. And you come out saying that was cathartic. That was a, a transformative experience. And, and that is contemplation so so the process often in prayers we start with me and god i am trying to think about god and listening to god and talking to god me in the movie mm -hmm. the next step is god and me the center of gravity shifts i start to become more aware of god and less aware of me that's mm -hmm. a good time of prayer good time of bible study but once in a while we move into what charles wesley beautifully said we get lost in wonder, love, and praise. We and it's mm -hmm. only God. We forget about ourselves altogether, yes. and we step into eternity. Actually, and even non-Christians. That's why things like sporting moments of euphoria, uh, you know, great art. These things will never go away because we deep down know these are the moments that we live for, not the moments where we are full of ourselves, but where we're not aware of ourselves and we're caught up in something greater than ourselves. It's mm -hmm. rumors of the mm -hmm. divinity. All our friends do that every time they go to the movie theater. They move at least into meditation and possibly into contemplation. My only question is, how do we do this in a way with a redeemed imagination, full of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ? So please, yeah. please, can we move away from this slightly boring discussion about is it biblical or not? Because it yeah. is into how do we do this biblically for the glory of Christ and for the mission of Christ to a world that is mm. longing to be lost in wonder, love and praise. Ah, oh, yes, yes. I mean, and plus, like you said, you don't have to choose one thing off the menu. Like the no. Bible can be read in with Lectio Divina and going over these verses yeah. over and over and over again. And then you also benefit from reading one full book from start to finish. 100%. You also benefit from reading huge chunks. You, I mean, we could go on and on with that, right? We also benefit from praying the scripture reading yeah. from start to finish. It doesn't have to be one way is the right way. Absolutely. I talked at the start about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is just instruction on how to handle prophecy in the church. Yeah, yeah. I could probably do Lectio Divina on it, but I'd rather just learn from it. Yeah. The other thing is this, the people who wrote the gospels, 
they were picturing it they were they were smelling it they were remembering mm-hmm. it and if we're going to really allow the scriptures to come alive we should be using all of the senses god's mm-hmm. for us so you imagine jesus in the boat on the ocean what are you smelling wow i'm smelling the water and i'm smelling men's bo and i'm smelling <laughs> fish you know and what are you feeling i'm feeling the wind on my cheeks and it's colder on one side than the other and Listen, i'm nauseous from the waves yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I, I think most of your listeners are, 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 are women. Many of them probably are raising kids. Listen, you don't have a problem doing this with your kids when you're telling them a story. You bring it to life. We owe it to God oh. to use our imaginations that he might speak more powerfully to us. Oh, I love it. And I don't even want to go any further, but I have to ask this question because I promised my husband that I would as we end. And I want people to also know he read about this in God on mute, which is, yeah. gosh, was that your first book? It wasn't. My first book was called Red Moon Rising. It's a book okay. of miracles all about yep. the start of the 24-7 prayer movement. And then I had to write God on Mute, which is a book about unmiracles mm-hmm. because we were plunged into tragedy. Yeah. And it's great, really, in some ways to end with this, because you are now released this book that is about hearing God but you went through a whole season where you wrote about God being on mute because your, your wife um, and her illness that she continues to deal with. And so the question that he had was, how do you really talk to people and encourage people who are walking through that? And then maybe they've gotten to the other side, but their spouse or themselves are still dealing with this long-term illness. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing I say is, you know, we always want God to airlift us out of our problems. We always pray for mm-hmm. miracles, but more often he parachutes in and joins us in the middle of them. That's mm-hmm. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear not evil, for thou art with me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my experience was, you know, we haven't seen any major miracles in my wife's chronic illness, mm-hmm. other than the fact she's still alive. Yeah, but I have often encountered God's presence in cancer wards, and you know, and it, and she she's experienced His presence in the MRI, mm-hmm. you know, tube and all that stuff. So that's the first thing is, and, uh, you know, and if God is silent, we need to understand He's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. So His silence is not His absence; it is just His presence manifest in another form. Mm. So that again, God's silence is not his absence. It is his presence manifest in another form. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't say that lightly, but it is normative in the Christian life that sometimes we experience seasons where God isn't speaking as much as he was mm-hmm. before. And those are often seasons of transition and of growth, of spiritual growth, if we handle them right. Uh, the final thing I'd say is a little more philosophical, I suppose, but I think it's practical too. It's this, listen, if you're an atheist, you still go through horrible things. You just don't have a lot of hope. And no matter how hard it is to cling on to the love of God, the purpose of God, the proximity of God, when you're suffering, hurting like hell, I'd rather do it with God than without. Amen. I had this 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 morning. Uh, I was going into the hospital to visit Sammy. Um, had to leave the two uh, two young sons with, with with someone caring for them, so I could go and visit her. 
And you know, she had had a horrible epileptic fit the night before. We'd cried out to God. To, it hadn't worked. And I was so depressed. I just didn't know what to even say to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not proud of this, but I, I, I ended up saying to her, darling, do you wonder if there just isn't a God? Like, why would he make you go through this? Like, why, why didn't he answer our prayer? And she said to me, you don't get it at all. Getting rid of God right now doesn't help. Getting rid of God just means I'm a highly evolved animal clinging to a rock that's spinning without meaning in outer space. And if Darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest is true, then I should die out of the evolutionary pool right now. Thank you for proposing that particular worldview. In Christ alone do we have a view of the world that says we may not always understand, but the God who made us loves us, that he is predisposed towards those who are weak and meek and struggling. He himself suffered and understands our suffering. He promises to turn bad things into good things. And he doesn't just give us his presence in this life. He promises hope for a life to come. And as babies, we knew how to trust that which we did not understand. As we get older, we, if we're not careful, lose that capacity and say, I will only trust if I can understand. Mm. But when we're deep in suffering, we have to return to that place that says, God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. Yeah. That is the time we need the arms of the Father around us more than ever mm-hmm. before. It's not the time to push him away. Mm. Well, Pete. Thank you. I think I needed this more than probably my people listening. And so um, I'm grateful for your time and um, for the way that you share your gifts that the Lord has given you with the rest of us. Oh, thank you for having me. I really valued the conversation. And I, I, I just want to encourage those listening. All this stuff is just about God's love. He loves you. He more than anything, he died to have a relationship with you. And he wants to walk and talk with you in a way that is natural and normal and beautiful. And he doesn't want to be restricted to religious boxes. He doesn't want to be trapped between the the cover of your Bible. He doesn't want to just live in the church sanctuary. He wants to do all of life with you, all of your imagination, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your senses. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so the heart of all this is life and it's love and it's hope. Mm, Thank you. What'd you think? Do you need to listen again? I know I do. If you want an outline, quotes, and links to all we discussed today, visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash hearing God or press pause and scroll down in your listening app. The link can be found there as well. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.